Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're in part two of our series called What's So Amazing About Grace, where we ask that question as we get towards Easter and gear up towards Easter, we're asking the questions just what, what's so amazing about grace? And last week, Pastor Jacob preached a phenomenal message. If you weren't here, please go back and listen on our website because it was a great message. And he gave this acronym for us to remember about what grace is. And it's those letters that stand for this right here. It's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Say that with me. God's riches at Christ's expense. That if we look at grace this morning and we look at it that way, it's amazing grace. And how many, when we say that it's God's riches, how many, let's be honest this morning, okay? Remember, if you, if you lie, you fry in church. We know that. Not really, I'm kidding. But how many would say, I need God's riches today. I would love God's riches today. Just raise your hand. Keep it up for me. I want to see how many people are holy and spiritual in here. Awesome. Wonderful. Okay. You need God's riches. All right, fine. Look under your seat. There's a hundred dollar bill. I'm kidding. (laughs) Totally kidding. But some of you are like, yeah, I want God's riches. I'm not talking about money per se. I'm not talking about those kind of riches. The kind of riches I'm talking about is the mom who, who goes into the house or goes into the playroom and the kids have taken the paint they were supposed to keep right there and it went everywhere and the mom unleashed. And she would probably say, I need God's grace this morning. I need his riches, his grace. Maybe you're driving in this morning to church with your spouse and your wife, guys, took a little bit of too much time with her hair trying to get it done up in the mirror and you keep going, come on, come on. Come on, come on. We need to go. We're going to be late. Some of y'all are hitting your wife right now. I know you are right now. And, and, and you're looking at and you're going, come on, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. And you said something foolish in the car on the way over to church to her. Amen. Okay. Don't raise your hand. We know who you are. You would say, I, I need a little grace, honey. I need some grace this morning. Or, or, or maybe you, you were driving in this morning and you were hurrying to church because your wife was fixing her hair and doing her makeup and looking beautiful for you. And, and then all of a sudden you're going a little fast because you want to make that first worship song. You know it's the best one. You're going a little too fast. And all of a sudden you see some blue lights in the rearview mirror. How many know when that feeling comes, it is a terrible feeling. And you're just, you're praying, God, give me some grace. I pray he gives me some grace this morning. Grace, 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 grace. And you're just hoping and praying that I can just say, I'm going to church and the officer will let you off. Okay, if there's any police out there, if I speed, I'm going to church, okay? But you would just say, I need some grace. Or maybe you get a flat tire and you're late for work and you're going, my boss, please just give me some grace. Now, in this sense, when we look at grace, as Pastor Jacob showed us last week, is that we look at it as a pardon, where we look at it as like a get out of frail, jail free car. How many know what I'm talking about? Where you, where you can just go, give me grace, cover in grace. I cover this in grace. I cover you in grace. It's like, we think it's gravy around here where we just cover everything with it, right? But it's true that God's grace is a pardon for us from our sins. That is huge. 
But I want to look at grace from the other side, which is looking at it from a view where grace is not just a pardon. Watch this. Grace is God's power if we let it. It's not just a pardon. God gives us grace so we can have power as well. So we can operate the way he wants us to operate. So we can walk and talk and look like what he wants us to look like. Because if we only see grace as something that gets us off the hook, then we're only going to use it when we need to get off the hook. But if we look at it as not just a pardon, but God's power, we begin to operate differently. And let me just say this. Husbands, look at me. You can't truly love your wife You can't truly do that if you're operating off of pardon, but you can truly love her with God's power if you operate off of his grace. I counsel too many husbands that just go, yeah, I just just need some pardon for my wife. I don't wanna like, I just wanna tiptoe around her. No, you operate in power. You'll learn to love her regardless of what happens. That's power. And I believe that's what God wants to show us today. Let me define it this way so you can write it down, take a picture so we can fully understand it. Is this, is grace is the empowering presence of God, enabling me to be all he's called me to be. Why? So I can do all he's called me to do. So grace, watch this. Just think about it this way. It's not just a pardon. It's God's empowering presence. It's God's empowering presence. And what I want to do this morning, what I want to do today is I hope, my prayer is today that you don't just see grace as a pardon, and it is amazing grace, but you'll see his amazing grace as a power that will operate in your life. Listen to me. If you fully embrace it and you let it operate in your life. It is so big this morning that we got to see the other side of grace And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just define grace like I just defined it. Jesus does it where he doesn't just define it, he displays it. And how he displays it is he shares stories and parables. And I'm, I, love, I love sharing stories. I love hearing stories. And we're going to look in Luke chapter 15 this morning all about God's grace. And if you know the book of Luke, Luke is a doctor who wrote this biography about Jesus, categorizing, telling the story of Jesus's life. And so as he's putting this together in Luke chapter 15, we get to what I call the lost and found chapter. Now, some of you are going lost and found like my jacket. No, not quite, but kind of. You see, lost and found, he uses three parables, three stories to tell us. He uses the parable of the sheep where, where it says that he'll leave the 99 to go get the one. We, next, he tells the story of God's grace and the parable of a lost coin. And nowadays, if I lose a coin, I am going to find that coin. And so he tells how a woman lost a coin and, he's, and she goes and finds it and there's this huge celebration. But the one I wanna focus on this morning is a familiar story that even if you haven't been in church in a while or you grew up in church or, or maybe you haven't been in church at all before, You're probably familiar with this phrase or at least this story. It's the story of the lost son or as some people call it, the prodigal son. And so we're gonna read this morning about God's grace, about two sons, one older, one younger. And the younger one says to his father, father, I'm leaving. I don't wanna be a part of this family more. I want the money, I want my inheritance and then I'm going to leave. And so we're gonna read this morning 
And I want you to see God's grace. We're going to pause every now and then. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to expound upon it a little bit more. And then I'm going to give you a few things and then we'll close. So if you can follow along, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 13, here's what the younger son does. Not long after that, after he collected his inheritance, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I think that term wild living is so interesting because I think some of us have experienced that wild living before. Not your pastor, but other people have, okay? (laughs) Totally kidding. And some of you are in that wild living now. Do not look at your neighbor right now, okay? But wild living always feels free for a season, doesn't it? It's like a kid that was held down by his parents with rules and regulations. And when he gets to college, it's like, ah, wilding out. Wild living always feel free for a season. It's like skydiving, right? Sky jumping where it feels free until you realize you have no parachute. And listen, running from God always feels free at first. And that's what this younger son did with this wild living. He is running from God and he felt free. Verse 14, here's what he says. After he had spent everything, after he ran, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and he hired himself out. Other versions say he attached himself. He attached himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to just feed the pigs. Now, pause. What's interesting is when a version says that he attached himself, when we break our attachment with God, you will always end up attaching yourself to something else. Just think about in our culture today. Think about in your life. I know I have done it. Where when you break attachment with God, you attach yourself to an addiction, to a job. Watch this, to a child. My kids are everything, right? To something else, to sports, to finances. Whatever it is, you attach yourself to something you were never meant to be attached to. When you break your attachment with God, you end up attaching yourself to something else and it usually ends in slavery, not sonship. And so here is this prodigal son who now is feeding pigs. He is in the pig pen. He is at a low point in his life where he feels like there is no grace, there is no hope, there is nothing left. Some of you feel that way, even this morning as you walked in. You maybe feel like you're in the pig pen. There's no coming back from where you've went. Well, I'm here to share, and through this story, you're gonna see that God's grace won't just cover a lot, it will do a lot. Verse 16, here's what it says. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, But no one gave him anything. And here's where it all turns. The story, Jesus turns the story right here. I love it. When he came to his senses, parents, that means he got smart finally, right? He started doing the right thing, not the foolish thing. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out Go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is how twisted his mind was. Watch this. Just put yourself in his shoes. He was a son who left, 
but he was willing to come back as a servant because he thought that's all he was worth. He was a son who left. And watch this. He didn't stop being a son just because he left. Some of you in here are feeling really, man, I've walked away from God. He'll never accept me back. Listen to me. Once you're a son or you're a daughter, you can try to change your last name, erase your last name. It's still your last name. And so here is this son who is willing to go back as a servant. So here's what he does. Verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, my favorite part right here. Listen to these words. His father saw him. Pause. His father saw him. What it reminds me of is is the fact that even when you think God doesn't see you, he sees you. Even when you feel like he doesn't care, he sees you. When no one else will see your pain, the father sees your pain. Think about it for a moment. The father is not too busy. He wasn't too busy trying to run his his household and all his wealth. He wasn't too busy. He was waiting for the son, but he wasn't just waiting. He was looking for the son. And he's on that front porch or whatever kind of house he had, and he's waiting. And the son, he sees the son before the son ever sees him. And here's what happens next. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. Some of you are going, yeah, that, that, that's, that's cool. He ran. I jog all the time. Yeah, I'm not talking about jogging. I'm not talking about ran, running. I'm not talking about jogging. I'm not talking about any of that, okay? Back in the first century, middle-aged men who were wealthy did not run. It was unbecoming of them to run. You're too dignified to run. You are too wealthy to run. I have other people run for me. But yet the father was so in love with his son and so compassionate that he decided, I don't care how I look. I care getting to him. You know what I love about the father is that when he sees you, he runs to you. He runs to you in your brokenness. He runs to you when you feel like a servant, when you're really a son and a daughter of the most high God. He will run to you and he ran to him. Here's what he did. And he threw his arms around him. He didn't condemn him, convict him, tell him to get on his knees. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And the son said to him, so the son starts, he practiced his whole speech and the son came up to him and he goes, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then verse 22, it's like the father didn't even recognize what he said. You ever do that, parents, where your kids are saying something? You're like, yeah, 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 I don't care about that, right? (laughs) Where you're like, okay, 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 big deal. I have something more important to tell you. And so the son is trying to get this out to the father because he can just say how lowly I am, how unworthy I am. I am not worthy to come back. I am a servant. And the father says this, but the father said to his servants, he didn't even say to him, he looked at everybody else and he goes, gotcha, son. Come here, come here, come here. I'm hugging you, kissing you. Here, quick, bring the breast, best, what is it called? Robe. Bring the breast. Come on, help me out, church. Bring the best 
robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And when we look at this beautiful picture of God's grace, it do, the father doesn't just pardon the son. Watch this. He restores and empowers the son to do something more than what he was doing. You see, God's grace can't just be a pardon. It has to be power. Why, Pastor Chris? Because grace is not just what it does for you. It's what it does to you. And there were three things the father gave to the son. I had you repeat it to me so you would remember. But there were three things that I want to go over because I believe this is what God wants to give us today. He doesn't want to give us things. He wants to give us a symbol, a reminder, a picture of the powerful grace that we have in him. Amen? So those three things are the robe, the ring, and the sandals. I want to show it to you today. Number one, first thing is, you can write this down, is the robe. And the robe is grace gives me a new identity and with a renewed purpose. So let me show it to you because I know some of you are very visual just like me. I brought some props today so you could fully understand what this is all about. But the father, the text says, looked at his servants and said, bring out the robe. Now he didn't go get his bathrobe, right? A robe was a, was a dignitary thing. It was very dignified, but it wasn't just any robe. Whose robe was it? It was the father's robe. He said, bring, bring the best robe. And I want, when I want you to bring it to me, I'm going to put it on my son. You put it on him because he can only have the best robe. And so they lavished it upon the son. I look good, don't I, y'all? <laughs> Dang. <laughs> you know what happened? I changed when I put it on. Because the son was wearing servant clothes, if you remember. He was wearing rags that were torn up, dirty, smelled like a pig, disgusting. Yet the father said, you're not a servant, you're a son. My son needs to be covered. My son needs a robe. He is dignified. And he put on, and it's likened to the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives us. That when we become a born again child of God, it says he gives us, we put on Jesus. We put on the cloth of righteousness. We put it on. Can you imagine how the son felt? Just stop for a minute. That he puts on this robe and you can imagine he didn't feel worthy to carry it. He didn't know what to do. He had rags on, yet the father lavished his own robe upon him. It wasn't his righteousness. It was the father's righteousness that covered him. Some of us are feeling like, ah, I don't deserve this. I'm just not, I'm not worthy. I'm not, yeah, guess what? None of us are. Why? Because the Bible says no one is good. No, not one. But when we're a child of God, God's grace, it covers us and it makes us different. It's almost like, how many knows Superman and Clark Kent? You change. When I have my robe on, man, it's like an S on my chest. 
You know what happened when you put the robe on? You began to walk differently. No, my leg's not hurting. Ain't nothing changed but my limp, okay? You walk differently. Why? Because it's a reminder of who I am, not what I've done. And what the father wanted to do is he wanted to cover and protect him. He wanted to provide for him. He wanted to cover those rags because he said, no son of mine will ever do that. You see, the great part about our righteousness is it's not our righteousness. It's Jesus's robe. It's like putting on a uniform, right? I love that my kids wear my jersey. I played in the NFL and they, they love to wear my jersey and it says Reese on the back and they're like, Reese, Reese, that's awesome. You know, look, look, it's my dad. And then they wear a Camara jersey. I'm like, what are you doing right now? Do you not love me? I'm the father. But no, they, you know, they're like, Reese, the great part about when I put on the robe of righteousness is my last name changes. It's not Reese. My last name is Christ because I belong to him. <laughs> but Jesus' last name wasn't Christ. I'm just using it as an example, okay? Some of y'all are really thinking it's Jesus Christ. It's not, that's not, okay. But think about it first. My name changes. I get a new identity, a new purpose. I walk differently. I belong to something bigger than myself. I talk differently. And if you belong to something, listen to me, if you belong to something, you got to know what you belong to or watch this, who you belong to. Because the Bible clearly tells us that every single one of us in here is a slave to something. Either it's to Christ or it's to sin. Here's what Paul says. He says it right here, very simply this. Romans 6, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Watch this. You hear what he said? He said, shall we sin because we can get a pardon? Because God pardons us because we got to get out of a jail free card? No. He said, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that, the one that you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have become, you have, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Listen to this. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now you, you belong to something bigger. I'm going to walk for something bigger. I'm going to talk for something bigger, not because I deserve it, not because I'm worthy, not because I'm good, but because he has called me a son or a daughter. Didn't you see what the father was doing? He did not want his son to forget who he was. And I know in this world, the enemy is trying to tear off your robe of righteousness if you are a born again believer. Why? Because there's nothing else he wants you to do than to kill, steal, and destroy your identity. He wants to tear off this robe and say, you don't deserve it. It doesn't need to be washed as white as snow. You're just a, a servant under those clothes. Don't try to fool yourself. You're fooling everybody else. You're not fooling me. It's why we have to consciously, listen to me, put it back on every day. Why? Because his mercies are made new every morning. So every morning I have scripture that I'm gonna quote over myself, that I'm a born again child of God, that my God loves me and cares for me, 
that he has called me to a higher purpose with a higher calling, that I will be the best husband, the most godly husband, the most godly father that I can be, that I'll be a servant of the most high God because I don't want to be a slave to sin. I walk differently. I talk differently. Why? Because I have the robe of righteousness on. Grace has set me free and it empowers me. And you know the great part about having something like this is it doesn't just cover me, but it protects me. It makes me not, be, it makes me not want to be afraid to fail, to disappoint God. I know so many believers that just say, Pastor Chris, I'm just so terrified of disappointing God if I do something wrong. I have five beautiful kids and we, my wife and I have taught them very clearly when we're around pools, they're young kids from ages 10 to three. Please help me, Jesus. Um, <laughs> that when we're around pools, you, you got to put on your, your vest. You got to put on your vest. They know that. They, they know how to swim. Some of them do. But we, we just tell them, I only have two eyes. There's five of you. Ergo, I cannot watch you. Okay. And so I just said, you're going to put on. So it's amazing when we get to the pool, how they walk differently because they know they don't have their vest on yet. They're like walking by the pool like this. They're terrified. They're like terrified. Like, daddy, I'm not getting near it. Look at me. I'm not getting near it. And I'm like, great job, bud. Great job. And I'm walking past. I'm like, let's go put on your vest. And even when I'm in the water and I'm like, hey, jump to me. And they're like, no, I don't have my vest on. I don't have my vest on. But it's amazing what happens when they put on their vest. Things change. Now failing doesn't seem, now they're doing backflip and gainers and like, I'm trying to tell them to stop, hold on. Why? Because they're covered and protected. They're not afraid to fail because they have something that will protect them and guide them and keep them afloat. Some of us are so afraid, terrified to step out and maybe take a next step in our next steps class and be a part of this church and be a part of something bigger because you're afraid of what people might think about you because you're not a great, great Christian. You know, the great part about God's love is he meets us wherever we're at and he covers us wherever we're at. And the enemy wants to do nothing but fear, fear, fear to tear you down. But he calls us to a next step to something bigger, to something better. But he didn't just give the son a robe. He gave him a ring. I'm going to take off this robe because it's very hot right now, okay? He gave him a ring. Now, the ring in and of itself, the ring is this. It stands for the grace that turns my weakness into power. Grace, and it turns my weakness into power. Now, I have a ring here. It is a Super Bowl ring, by the way. Um, But when the father gave the son a ring, it was a special ring. It wasn't a Super Bowl ring, but it was a special ring. (laughs) Very special. And I can only imagine what happened in the text when he said, put the ring on his finger, that he took out the ring and he put it right on his son's finger. Now, theologians believe that this ring wasn't a Super Bowl ring. I'm just going to burst your bubble right there. It was a signet ring. Now, some of you are familiar with what a signet ring is. It usually has the crest or the initials of the family. And back then in those days, it would stand for authority, meaning the one who had it had the authority in that family. 
For instance, if you look back in Genesis, where Joseph rises up the second in command under Pharaoh, Pharaoh removes his ring and gives it to Joseph and says, you are now in command. You have authority over all of Egypt, except for me. So watch this. You have the father giving the son a signet ring to symbolize the fact that you have authority and power. You can stamp, label, and approve that which is really yours. Now, what I can't stand about the enemy is he wants to label you, but you feel like you have no authority to label that. And what God gives us through his son Jesus is grace that allows us to label a circumstance, a situation for what it is. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? It means the enemy is trying to peel this ring off your finger. The authority of Christ is on your life if you're born again because he tries to peel it off and he'll say things like, your, your marriage is over. And if you put it back on, you get to say, my God is my redeemer. He redeems all things. You get to stamp and label that. Or he might pull it off and you go, there's no way that I can ever, ever get over my anxiety or fear. But with it on, you have the authority to say, with God, all things are possible. He, he tries to rip it off to say, I'll never have a child. God's never gonna give us a child or a family. Or for you, maybe you're single and he'll never give me a spouse. We'll never get our finances in order. We'll never have enough to buy that new house. And he has given authority, the ring, to stamp and label that thing in your life to say this, my God works for my good, all things, all things for my good. You get to label that because it's not our authority that we have. It's his authority. And things change when you have his authority. Yeah, I, love, I love the way my five-year-old acts when he gets a new costume, when he gets a new sword, right? That's not a real sword, it's a fake sword. And yes, we let our kids play with fake swords, okay? Or, or like a ninja star or something like that. And he's like, daddy, can you help me put this costume on? I was like, oh, sure, buddy, he's five-year-old. And he's like, thank you, daddy. I'm like, sure, he puts it on. And he's like, daddy, I will fight you now. I'm like, what? He's like, daddy, I will destroy you. And he has a sword in his hand. He's like, ugh. I'm like, what happened to my little five-year-old boy right now? Watch this. When he got that which he knew was powerful, he felt like he had authority to take on anything. You see, what's so great about God's grace is he gives us the power, the authority, the ring to take on anything. to take on anything. Why? Because in spite of our weakness, listen to me, his grace gives us power and authority over circumstances. Paul knew this. That's why Paul in one of his most famous verses says this, but he answered me. I love this. But he answered me. My grace is always more than enough for you. Let me quote that. You're powerful no matter what you're going through. Not because it's you, but because of who is inside of you. You're more than enough. He says, my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So Paul said this. So I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. 
Now, some of you are going, Pastor Chris, but I don't have a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, I know you don't. I do, okay? And people are like, Pastor Chris, I just, man, if I was wearing that, if I had that ring, I would wear it everywhere, wear it on my neck. I would make sure I would do this to people as soon as they come out, right? I would make sure they know. And I clearly tell them, that's why God never gives you a Super Bowl ring. And he gave me one. But I love the fact that they would feel very proud. I love the fact that they would feel like a champion. They didn't earn it. They didn't win it. But watch this. It was freely given to them, and they're going to wield its power for all it's worth. God's grace, he doesn't want you to just have a pardon, a free pass. He wants you to use it for his glory. That even in our weakness, he is strong. The third and final thing is this. And here's where we're going to close this morning. Yes, he gave us a robe. Yes, he gave us a ring. And finally, he gave his son sandals. Now to us, we look at these and we go, they're just ordinary sandals. It's no big deal. But the sandals represented this. The sandals represented the grace that sets me on a new path and a new beginning. See, when he came home, he was a servant. He wanted to be a servant, and that's all he thought he would ever be. In the first century, you could tell slaves and servants from real sons. And one of the best ways you could tell it wasn't just their clothes. It was that servants didn't wear shoes. That's how you knew they were servants. They did not wear shoes. And can you imagine walking around in the Middle East with that hot dust Everywhere your feet are grimy, dirty, dusty. And as the son came crawling back to the father, thinking he was going to be a servant, he didn't just give him a robe to cover him. He didn't just give him a ring to give him authority. He said, you're on a new path now. You need some new shoes. How many of y'all remember the the Reebok pumps back in the day? I would pump that thing up. Shaquille O'Neal and me, we were about to dunk. Never happened because I'm a short white guy. But still, I'd be pumping that thing up until it just busts, right? But those shoes did something different to me. And it set me on a new path and made me feel different. The sandals that the father gave the son were to show and remind him the fact that he's not a servant. He's a son. Look at me. Look at me. You're not a servant. You're a son or a daughter. You're not a servant. You're a son and a daughter. You're not a servant. You just, I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking that so clearly to you. If you could get at that this morning. That you're not a servant. You're a son and a daughter. And when you do that, it's different. When you get that, you don't have to become like the Old Testament where there was an old covenant where they would say, you need to take off your shoes, you're on holy ground because this is God's ground. You're not allowed to be on his ground, in his presence with shoes on. So they would make Moses take it off. But the new covenant says, keep your shoes on. You can be in my presence because you're a son and daughter. 
Come just as you are. Because no matter how many gifts the Father gives us, listen to me, you want to know the greatest gift? It's not a robe. It's not a ring. It's not sandals. The greatest gift he gives us is a relationship with the Father. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God doesn't just want to give you things. He wants to give you himself. And I don't know how your earthly father was if he bought you things or maybe his presence. You didn't want to even be around him. But when God steps in the room, he changes everything. And for the prodigal son, when he stepped into the presence of the father, it empowered him and it changed him. You know, one day my kids are going to come to me. One day they're going to come to me and they're going to be complaining and struggling with a coach that is riding them real hard and making them work. One day my kids are going to come to me when a teacher is too tough on them or when their boss is annoying them, or when their spouse is getting a spat in an argument and they wanna quit. And the privilege that I have as a father is I get to say to them, you're a Reese. (laughs) And it doesn't mean anything to anyone in here, but to my family, my kids know, it means we don't quit anything. And I get the privilege as the father to remind them who they are. I get to remind them that they're my son and daughter who have everything they need to accomplish everything that God has called them to do in life. And if it's not through me, it is through God Almighty. I don't know how your father was. But many times we try to label God by our earthly fathers that are broken and busted, just like all of us. And some of you are still trying to buy your sandals from God, trying to earn it through good things or to earn your robe. Maybe enough, I can save up enough money to, or maybe the ring, maybe one day if I'm good enough. Let me just make this very, 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 very clear. Jesus already paid the price. He already spilled the blood. He already was crucified. And on Easter morning, we're gonna get to celebrate the resurrection of the king of all kings who stands in intercession even still today, linking his children, us, with God Almighty, the Father, the creator of the universe. And he links them together in relationship. And it's by God's grace that we get to call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High God. Father, we thank you this morning. You're more than enough for us, God. You're more than enough for us.
thank you, God, that there are some out here that just maybe even feel like orphans right now. Maybe feel like they're fatherless when the father is standing right there and he sees them and he's calling them. God, Thank you for calling us. Thank you for calling me, God. Thank you that you reminded me and us of our identity in you, Lord. You put a robe of righteousness on us. That God, you give us a new name and a new identity, a new purpose. Lord, thank you for the ring that you put on our hand, that we have the authority of Christ inside of us, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in this world. Lord, thank you that you've given us new shoes, new sandals to remind ourselves that we walk in the fear of the Lord only and not in the fear of man but we have a new path and new beginning each and every single day, God. So thank you, Lord, for those who know you in here. Thank you, God, that you're setting us up to experience your power, not just your pardon. And in that, we can walk in full grace and in full mercy. But this morning, I know, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed this morning, I know there are some of you this morning that have never walked into a relationship with God. You've walked into church. Maybe you've been christened or baptized. Maybe you've done some amazing things, but that's not what it means to enter into a relationship with Jesus. He said, if you want to enter into God's family, it's nothing you can do on your own. He said, you must be born again. And we just make a decision, a commitment to say, I am entering into that relationship with all my dysfunctions, insecurities. And I'm laying it all at the foot of the cross, knowing he paid for my sins. You might be asking, Pastor Chris, how do I do that? How can I be born again? Well, it's as simple as ABC. A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a savior. We're the prodigal sons and daughters that have gone away from God. Be believed that what Jesus did on the cross, he covered our sins. That he gave us his robe, his ring, his sandals. And see, we confess him not just as savior, that he saves us from our sins, but now he's Lord. He is boss. He is everything to us and to all. And if that's you in here this morning, I want to offer that relationship up to you to be born again. This is not about joining a church or whether you're Protestant or Catholic or whether you're good enough or not, whether you've been baptized or christened. This is not about that. This is about you joining and starting a relationship with Jesus and receiving the full inheritance that he wants to give you. And on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold, to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer that you're gonna pray. I don't want to embarrass you. We're all going to pray this prayer together. But I don't want to embarrass you. But this is your moment to say, I want to be born again. I want to start my relationship with Jesus. And the great part about a spiritual birthday is it only happens once. Just like a physical birthday where you're only born one time. And on the count of three, if that's you, without any hesitation, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God has called you here. It's not an accident that you're sitting in this room today hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, he has a great plan and great purpose for you. 
and he is calling you home. Three, I want you to raise your hand now. Raise it high, raise it high, wave it at me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Praise God. Awesome, you can put your hands down. If you raise it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. But if you wanna join those 21, last 10 seconds, I want you to ask you, I want you to do it now. Anyone else? Awesome, awesome. Great, thank you. Well, church, with all those that raised their hand this morning, we're all gonna say this prayer together. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go and rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.